Welcome to Home of the Brave. I'm Scott Carrier. I'm sorry, but I need to take a break. So let's call this the end of season one. There are several reasons, but basically they all boil down to I need to take a break. It's a normal thing for me. Sometimes I just need to stop writing for a while. So I'm going to turn off the subscriptions because I don't want people paying for work I'm not doing. Thank you very much for donating, subscribing, or buying t-shirts, tote bags, and patches. For three years, I've been able to do and say what I want, only because of your support, which is pretty amazing. I've been very lucky this way. I think I've learned more in these past three years than at any other time in my life. I should write a report on what I've learned. It might be useful to others. But right now, I'm just going to do this. Take this step, take a break for a while. On this occasion, I'd like to play the second story I produced for Home of the Brave, A Walk on the Beach with Alex Chadwick. three or four things. Last year, my friend Alex fell down the stairs in his apartment and nearly died. He was in the hospital for five weeks. They thought he might have brain damage. Okay, it's going. It's rolling? Uh-oh. <laughs> I called him a couple of times when he was in the hospital, and he was pretty out of it. Couldn't talk or remember things very well. So when he got out of the hospital, I went to see him. I wanted to see if he was okay. Uh, so you're here in L.A., and it's uh, February of 2014. Actually, it's the 1st of March. Today's the 1st of March. So where are we going? Oh, let's go back down that way. Well, just there's a beach up north in Malibu that I've never been to that I want to go see. It's I think it's a pretty wild beach, but I don't know because I've never been there. Alex used to work for National Public Radio. He was, in my opinion, their best writer, producer, and host. He had his own program, Day to Day, broadcast from NPR West in Culver City. But then Day to Day got canceled and Alex was laid off or fired. Anyway, Alex is the guy who first showed me how to do radio. All right, so first tell me who, who you are. Why don't you introduce yourself and say where we are. I'm Alex Chadwick, and I've known you, Scott, for probably 30 years now. And um, we first met when I was producing Weekend All Things Considered at National Public Radio in Washington. And um, you showed up one day on a Sunday, and the guard called from the lobby, said, hey, there's someone here to see you. And I said, well, who is it? And he said, well, he said, I don't know. He said he just hitchhiked in from Salt Lake City, and he, he wrote your letter, and he said he was going to come see you. And I said, all right, well, I'll go down and talk to him. So I went down, and there you were. And uh, I thought that, well, I'm going to listen to a little bit of what this guy's got. Because you told me you'd, you'd been interviewing people as you came across America, and you wanted to do this story about hitchhiking across America. And I kind of thought, well, you know, that's worth a gamble. Uh, but I also, I was pretty confident. I mean, people show up from time to time, and they say, oh, I want to do something. But then you... 
when you ask them if they can really do it, it turns out they can't. They don't know how to record. They don't know how to write. They don't know how to tell a story and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. That uh, Either you have to do it a lot or else you have to just be good at it. So I thought, well, I'll just ask this guy to play some play some tape. You said that you'd been to anthropology film school at maybe the University of Utah, maybe someplace else. Santa Fe. Santa Fe. Yeah, you remember that. Wow. And um, so I thought, okay, well, maybe he knows how to record. But I I really didn't think you would know how to record (laughs) because it's harder than people think uh, to do it well. Uh, But you played this piece of tape from an interview you'd done in I think someplace in maybe Arizona and you told me you were you got into this place where there was a there was a town down below and you were up on a bluff up above it there was a kind of a campground or a park or something there and you would you just put your bag down and you were sleeping on the ground and about dawn the next morning you wake up and there's this guy standing beside you in his stocking feet and he starts telling you this story and then you recorded it and he tells you the story about how he was in this town last night and it was a fight in a bar and he got in the fight and uh, he got arrested and he had an arraignment hearing or something coming up in the next couple of days but the police in the town or the sheriff's office had taken his shoes and told him they were confiscating his shoes for evidence from the fight and they weren't going to give it back to him until the court hearing so he tells you this story and then he tells you so I got to wait until there's the court hearing because I can't leave town without my shoes but he tells you I'm not leaving my shoes behind (laughs) and it was such a perfect clip of interview and it was recorded so well I mean I could understand everything this guy was saying and I could sort of hear who this guy was through his voice and I thought to myself well that's pretty good let's see what he can do and that turned into a story that became a legend at NPR um, and then so we've been talking to each other ever since then so I I remember it a little differently but your memory is probably better but I didn't not necessarily <laughs> I'm certifiably brain damaged Sorry, I shouldn't laugh so that we're driving up the coast just passing the Getty Villa in Santa Monica and the ocean is just wild out there. Big waves coming in and a lot of uh, a lot of surf stirred up a hundred feet out even all white and this is a this is a big surfer beach right along in here. There's a guy out there Well, how did you start in radio? How did I get into radio? Yeah. Um, well, you were in, in Vietnam. 
I was in Vietnam as a soldier, and, and then I got out of the army, and I joined the anti-war movement, and I organized demonstrations against the war in Washington, D.C., and um, and then I got disillusioned with the anti-war movement, which I'm telling you something. If you go in the army and you grow disillusioned with the war, that's that's kind of hard. But if you're in the anti-war movement and you get disillusioned with the anti-war movement, <laughs> that's really... Did that... Did you think you have PTSD from that? Did you ever think about that? I, I don't think I have PTSD. I mean, I don't... I'm not, I, I'm, I was obviously bothered by what happened in the war. That's why I joined the anti-war movement. And, but no, I wasn't ever, uh, it never, I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't in really bad combat all the time. I was a couple of times, but not, it wasn't something that happened every day to me. Okay, well, maybe we should stop here and get some coffee. All right. If we can find a place. There's the country market. They might have coffee. Marmalade Cafe. So you weren't scared all the time? No, I wasn't scared all the time. Um, I was in Saigon most of the time um, doing interrogations, actually, which were not the terrible kinds of things that people uh, are afraid of and think they are. They were pretty simple. You weren't torturing people? We weren't torturing people. Because? Torturing people is not a good way to get information out of them. You can't... People will say anything to get you to stop torturing them. Anything. So... If people will say anything, how good is that information? It's no good. Yes, yes, yes. Please stop hurting me. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's much better to sit down across the table from somebody and just talk to them. Just talk to them. And that's what you did. That's what I did. Just like being a reporter. Okay. So, all right. I know you don't want to talk about this too much, but what made you think that you wanted to? How did you get the NPR? Well, from there. I got hired by these two crazy people. They had a little radio station in Maine, and they wanted to. They needed a reporter, and they got me. Huh. Uh, so I worked there for a couple of years, learning to be a reporter. Huh. And uh, and then, when you're in your first job as a reporter, and usually about that time after you've been at it for a couple of years, there comes a day when you go to talk to your boss. And at the end of that day, you're not sure, and you will never be sure, whether you quit or you were fired. But for sure, you're not working there anymore. So 
Uh, I went to work on a lobster boat for that summer. As a stern man on a lobster boat, which is the guy who baits the traps and pulls them up and, you know, tries to... So I I did that, and it was a, it was a great summer, one of the best summers of my life. Um, and I loved that job. But um, I was making less money than I had as a beginning reporter. Uh, so... Then a friend of mine who was at NPR called me up and he said, are you ready to go back to work? And he met as a reporter. And I said, well, yeah, sure. And he said, okay, I need somebody to come down here for a couple of weeks and fill in and do this little morning program for us. And yeah, sure, why not? Um, So that's what happened. I just wound up staying. What was the morning program? It was called A Closer Look. And it was a a nine-minute feature program that followed a morning newscast, a five-minute morning newscast. That's the program that finally became Morning Edition. Which you designed. Which I I worked on creating, yes. But everybody wants to know what I want to know. What was NPR like back then? It was a kind of a collection of young or youngish people who kind of had an idea what they were doing but not really and um, I mean there were supervisors but they were always in trouble or getting fired or <laughs> there was always a revolution on against something really and um, so it was people just trying to figure out what they were, what they were doing, and eventually they kind of muddled through and and did it more or less, I think, because the audience found NPR and the audience saved NPR. Really? So I had worked in uh, television before that in San Francisco and in Washington D.C. in commercial television as a writer and. The people who worked there didn't have any respect for their audience. They thought their audience was stupid. And NPR thought the audience was smart. NPR thought they... Everybody at NPR thought they had to work as hard as they could to try to be as smart as the audience was. That's a much better way to produce programming than if you think your audience is stupid and you're going to try to fool them. You know, you're going to try to persuade them that you're doing the right thing but you're not actually thinking about how to be smart so they they were pretty good and they figured it out okay I'm trying to look along the left hand side here for the place where we're turning off but I can't find these are all they're all homes and along it's raining the, pretty hard and it's raining pretty hard yeah time for the houses to start sliding into the ocean yeah it's a little <laughs> ugly out there <laughs> We're um, we're up in Malibu at a place called Matador Beach. Um, there's one other car in the parking lot here, and um, it's raining like hell. And um, here we are. We're gonna we're gonna 
park here, I guess, and try to walk down to the beach. No alcohol. What kind of sign is that? They don't want well, it would just lead beach. to, you know, troubling behavior. Huh. Recurring rip currents. Warning. Recurring rip currents. No lifeguard on duty. Oh, great. All right. Did you get fired? I got laid off, which means fired. They ran out of money uh, several years ago. So they decided to get rid of people. And they, they canceled this program that they'd started out in California called Day to Day that I was hosting, which was a midday kind of like news magazine program. Yeah, it was really good. You guys won a lot of awards. We won some. It was your program. Yeah. Yeah, so they ended that program and I lost my job and so did 65 other people. And, um, yeah. The moral of the story? Moral of the story. What is the moral of that story? Moral of the story is... Uh, if you work somewhere, it's a job. It's not <clears throat> a calling. It's not... I mean, in some cases, I guess it can be. People can believe very deeply in what they're doing, and, and they can do good things. Um, but uh, if you work somewhere, it's mostly it's a job. Don't forget that part. At your job, you can get laid off or fired or, you know, you can run into stupid people who will, you know, give you a hard time. You and can be replaced. You can be replaced really quickly for for good reason or no reason. And you just have to understand that and be aware of it. And know that just do the best that you can do and... Don't worry about what happens. Okay, so we're sitting here on a rainy cliffside parking lot above El Matador Beach. and it's But the rain is not quite as bad as it was, so maybe we could walk down and see what's there. I can see from... I mean, I can see the where the waves are breaking down below, and it's... It's bad out there. Hardly. Should we walk down there? Yeah. Try it? Yeah. Okay. Hello. Okay, this is uh, this is Matador State Beach in Malibu. Um and it's, uh, what, about 2 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. The sky is very gray. There are darker gray clouds on it, and there's big surf coming in. It's big. pretty pretty wild for here. They, the waves just have gotten bigger yeah. since we've driven north. Yeah. Those look like 12-foot waves. Maybe. Yeah, that's I, what they forecast for today. 12-foot. Huh. We got a little tennis court out there on the beach. Oh, yeah. But you never know You never know when you're going to get tired of swimming and want to play a little tennis. So <laughs> it's handy to have that kind of stuff around here. 
Okay, we're going down these stairs, going down these long, wet, slippery wooden stairs. Yeah, this is probably not a good place to be if you've got a brain injury and you're trying to avoid another one. Alex seemed to be okay. He was moving a little slowly, and he was overly modest when he was talking about NPR, but he was like that before he fell down the stairs, modest. I remember watching him typing on an IBM selector in the NPR newsroom back in 1983. I was just hanging out, trying to learn how to do radio, and Alex was writing the script for Weekend All Things Considered as it was live on the air. He'd finish a page and an assistant would run it into the studio and the host would read it. I was scared because if he would have stopped typing or had a problem, there would have been dead air going out all across America. But Alex was calm, completely focused, like he was teeing up in golf or writing a letter to a friend, summing up what had happened today and why we should care. And I thought, I could never do that. I learned so much from Alex Chadwick. We were alone on the beach, except for some birds, comrades, and pelicans. So in the summer, there'd be a lot of people here, I think? I don't think there are ever very many people here at this beach. I mean, it's, you know, it's way, way up Malibu to get here. Uh, and there's not much parking up there. And then you kind of, you walk down here, and it's, it's not a big open wide open beautiful beach you know it's rocky and water's a little rough it's, it's a tough beach back in the car i asked alex to tell me about the accident what actually happened i don't actually know except i remember but i don't know if it's a false memory or not i remember feeling very faint and then trying to catch myself and then not being able to catch myself. And I remember how surprised I was that I couldn't catch myself because I'd never really fainted before. And the idea that you would lose consciousness was uh, a surprise to me. And then you went to the hospital and woke up in the hospital? Well, I didn't wake up for quite a while. but I Well, I kept waking up, but I don't have any memory of it. Um, but I was, I was kind of out of it for a while. I mean, I was. Uh, I mean, I had a pretty serious brain injury, which I didn't realize at the time. And um, the brain is pretty good at taking care of itself. So the brain knew that I, I had to rest. I didn't know it, but my brain did. Um, and I, so I, I was very tired. I kept falling asleep, and, and my brain would rest and start to heal. Um, and about a week later, I woke up, and I was in this hospital room, and both of my sisters were there. I had to spend five more weeks in that hospital and a couple of other hospitals. Because they better. weren't really sure that what had happened or... They weren't sure what had happened, and they weren't sure how badly injured I was, but they knew that I had injured my brain. They'd already done enough brain scans to know that I had a bruise on the frontal lobe, the front part of the brain. The frontal lobe is where you have both your... It's, it's 
where your impulses occur, and it's also where you exercise control over your impulses. So, um, like one, I'd been thinking about, I used to go for walks on the beach. This is after I got home from the hospitals. I used to go for a walk on the beach almost every day of about two miles. And I, I'd gotten to the point where I thought I could probably make that walk again, and I wanted to do it the next day. So I went to bed, and I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go. And, um, yeah, I followed the same way that I normally would go, and it took me about the same amount of time, uh, you know, about an hour to do it. And... Um, I was fine. I got back fine. But uh, uh, both of my daughters were very unhappy <laughs> that I had gone out at 4 o'clock in the morning where it was, it was nobody to help me if I got in trouble out there. So they were worried about that. They were worried that I was, uh, you know, totally out of it and was going to be out of it, and they might... You know, I might never kind of come back to normal, and they so they were kind of worried about that. Uh, but I was actually okay. You've been listening to A Walk on the Beach with Alex Chadwick, recorded four years ago in Los Angeles. Alex is doing fine these days, living in Sonoma. I wanted to play this story because all this, my ability to work in radio and podcasting, all comes down to the help and encouragement I have gotten from my friends and family and you, the people who've supported this show over the past three years. I feel like I owe you a lot. So thanks again. I hope to be back up and running soon.